Last week we looked at the first part of Daniel chapter 4. And we learned that King Nebuchadnezzar had received direct revelation from God that was constantly troubling him. And so he called for all of his wise men to interpret this vision that he had received from God. But no one could interpret the dream except for Daniel. When Daniel learned of the dream, he too was troubled like King Nebuchadnezzar because he recognized that it was about King Nebuchadnezzar. The dream was about a tree, as you remember. This tree grew to reach the heavens and it provided a home for birds and shade for other animals and it provided food for all creatures, apparently. But as this tree grew to its height, an angel from heaven was watching it. And this angel was sent by God to chop it down, but to leave the stump to remain. The metaphor then changes from a tree stump to a man. And this man would be left out in the elements to live with the animals. And he would think like an animal until seven years of time had passed, at which time he would be compelled to acknowledge the Most High God and that He rules over all mankind. And as Daniel reveals the interpretation, the meaning of this dream to King Nebuchadnezzar, he also calls for the king to repent so that God might be gracious to him. King, if you would just repent now, maybe God will delay in His judgment of you. We find here in chapter 4, verses 28-37, the focus of our study this morning, that King Nebuchadnezzar does not repent in the time that God gives him uh, to do so before he brings about this uh, insanity. And so let's read our passage here and we'll see what God is teaching us here through His Holy Spirit as we read His Word. This is the Word of God. All this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the Great, which I myself has built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King, king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, Sovereignty has been removed from you, and you will be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle, and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over all the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever He wishes. Immediately, the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled, and he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever, for His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but He does according to His will in the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And no one can ward off His hand or say to Him, What have you done? At that time, my reason returned to me, and my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom, and my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished in my sovereignty, 
and surpassing greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the King of Heaven, for all His works are true, and His ways are just, and He is able to humble those who walk in pride. God is behind the rise and fall of kings, and therefore all glory belongs to Him. I believe the children can go down too. I just realized I didn't say that earlier. Sorry about that. We won't watch as you go. Alright? Because we're looking at our Bibles right now. Daniel chapter 4. We see that God is behind the rise and fall of all kings and therefore all glory belongs to Him. Alright, now that they're gone, we can really talk. We don't have anything to hide. Alright. Verses 28-33, we see that God causes the fall of kings. You see, if God chose to, He could have chopped down the tree of King Nebuchadnezzar's pride the very day that Daniel revealed the dream to him, like he did with King Belshazzar, as we'll see in chapter 5. The very night that the writing was on the wall and Daniel interpreted what that means, King Belshazzar was killed. He was humiliated. King Nebuchadnezzar, however, was not cut down to size immediately. Notice how long it takes. Verse 28, all this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king, 12 months later. So after hearing this vision and its interpretation or seeing this vision and hearing the interpretation, God gives him 12 months. Immediately following the vision from God, King Nebuchadnezzar is thinking, hey, nothing's changed. You know, everything continues on as it was. I'm not being humiliated. I'm not being cut down to size like Daniel says is going to happen. And so... After the first day, perhaps, he thought, you know, I, can, I don't have to repent. Daniel had encouraged him to do so, but he did not. And maybe the next morning he wakes up again and looks around and say, sees, hey, my kingdom's still here. I've not been brought down in my pride. And so day after day this takes place. And day follows day and week follows week. And still, his kingdom has not been taken from him. And so he continues to live in pride and in defiance against God, thinking, well, I guess God is not going to do anything about that vision after all. Apparently, that's not going to take place. And so at the height of his pride, when the tree reached the sky, as the vision showed us, God brought him to his knees in verses 29-31. King Nebuchadnezzar had built a kingdom that was unprecedented in human history. He had at least three palaces, and he also had designed and had constructed one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, which is the Hanging Gardens for his wife, who apparently was from another region, and she liked these things, and Babylon wasn't really known for these kinds of things, and so he made it happen. He included, he, he made, had this, these, uh, um, hand-crafted, so to speak, waterfalls, exotic plants on this 400-foot mountain. And he made that all for her. And this was some gorgeous thing to, to look upon. In addition to that, he had an impregnable wall that was built around the city. In fact, two of them, an outer wall and an inner wall. The outer wall was around 21 feet thick and it spanned 17 miles. It completely... Uh, it completely went around the uh, perimeter of the city 17 miles in distance. And it was about 40 feet tall. 
And it included watchtowers every 160 feet. By comparison, the Great Wall of China is only 7 miles long compared to 17. And it's only 20 feet high compared to 40 feet high. Babylon's wall, outer wall. And the Great Wall of China at its base is about 20 feet wide, about the same thickness as Babylon's outer wall. But but it's much smaller in comparison. The Great Wall of China is like a Lego set in comparison to the city of Babylon. And that was just the outer wall. There was also an inner wall that was for further protection. It wasn't nearly as large as the outer wall, but it made attacking and defeating the city of Babylon nearly impossible. In addition to that, they had a great water supply that would come right into the city. They didn't have to go out to get their water. And they filled their storehouses with rations so that they could survive for years. This is going to come into play when we look at chapter 5 next week because King Belshazzar depends on a lot of these things and really is, is just as proud or perhaps even more proud than, um, than King Nebuchadnezzar. But we're focusing on Nebuchadnezzar. King, Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar goes to the roof of one of his palaces, his royal palace, probably the one where he lived, and as he looks around the beautiful city that he had built and the impenetrable walls and the beautiful hanging gardens, notice what he says in verse 29. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 30. The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the Great, which, and notice the personal pronouns here, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? Now, let me just take you back in thought to chapter 3 and remember the question that was being asked and answered in that chapter. In chapter 3, the question was, by King Nebuchadnezzar, what God is able to save or to deliver Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from out of my hands? What God can possibly do that? And the three young boys, probably in their late 20s, early 30s at this time, say, the God whom we serve, is able to deliver us out of your hand. And so they respond that way. And God responds in a very similar way, not audibly, but by actually delivering them from the furnace, by sending His Son into the furnace with them to be with them. And not a hair of their head or their body was singed and their clothes did not smell of fire. So they respond, God can deliver us, our God. And God responds, yes, I can deliver. And He delivers. And then King Nebuchadnezzar, after seeing it, he also responds in that way. He says to the question, what God is able to deliver you out of my hands? Well, your God is able to. That's what he says at the end. He says, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is the only one who can deliver from out of my hands. Well, here in chapter 4, we have a different question. Not who is able to deliver from my hands, but who is powerful enough to produce such great wealth and strength? Who can do this? And the implied answer? It's me, King Nebuchadnezzar effectively says. Look at the product of my handiwork that I myself have done by my power and my majesty. You see, King Nebuchadnezzar has turned into a me monster, hasn't he? It's all about me. But God also has an answer for that question. Who is powerful enough to produce such great wealth and strength 
And He's going to show through the humiliation of King Nebuchadnezzar that, Nebuchadnezzar, what you have, you did not receive. Why do you boast in what you have when you received it from Me? 1 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul asks a similar question. And so God responds to Nebuchadnezzar at the height of his pride in verse 31. While the word was in the king's mouth. So while he's still speaking these boasts about his kingdom, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you. God had spoken to King Nebuchadnezzar in a veiled way. He's already shown him two visions. Remember, the first vision was of the statue. And here, the second vision of the tree. He'd also spoken to King Nebuchadnezzar through the prophet Daniel. Daniel's effectively telling him what God is saying. But now God speaks audibly. Now, this could be through an angel. I recognize that could be an angel. But but effectively, God speaks from heaven to King Nebuchadnezzar, telling him, King Nebuchadnezzar, you, you standing there on the pedestal of your pride are out of place. This was hard for King Nebuchadnezzar to see because he was the one who had always determined the rise and fall of other people and creatures. If he wanted someone to fall, he would cause them to fall. If he wanted someone to rise, he would cause them to rise like he did with Daniel. He moved Daniel to a position of power. Turn over to chapter 5, verse 19. As Daniel recounts uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, who is the grandfather of Belshazzar, he, he, he basically talks about his great power. And here's what he says about King Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel says this about King Nebuchadnezzar to Belshazzar. He says in verse 19, "...because of the grandeur which he, God, bestowed on him, Nebuchadnezzar, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language language feared and trembled before him, Nebuchadnezzar. They, they trembled before him. And whomever he, the king, wished he killed, and whomever he wished he spared alive, and whomever he wished he elevated, and whomever he wished he humbled. See, King Nebuchadnezzar was used to causing the rise and fall of other people, but now it's going to be different. Because... God's going to put King Nebuchadnezzar in a place where he has no control even over his own person. God is the one who's causing the fall here. In verses 32 and 33, we see the consequences of King Nebuchadnezzar's pride. The consequences. God brings about this form of insanity. This may have alarmed King Nebuchadnezzar, but it should not have been surprising because what did God tell him one year earlier? God made it clear that he was, this was going to happen to him. He was going to live among the animals and think like the animals. And that's exactly what happens. It's a form of insanity that the doctors call boanthropy, where a person thinks and acts like an ox. And apparently there are some cases of this in recent history, even in our day. God also reminds him in verse 32 how long this is going to take. Notice verse 32. And you'll be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You'll be given grass to eat like cattle. And, and this is what we looked at last week, seven periods of time or seven years, as you see in the margin of your Bible, will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever He wishes. 
God is the one who's bringing him to his knees. And God is the one who's causing this to happen for a period of time. And the goal of this punishment was to get King Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar to get his eyes off of himself and to see that the God of the universe is the Almighty Ruler and that everything that King Nebuchadnezzar had was because of God. And just as easily as those things were acquired for him, God can just as easily take them all away. He needed to recognize that it was not him and his great power that brought him to this place, but it was God who allowed him to have all these things. Verse 33 Immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled and he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. Okay, so don't think that his hair turned into feathers. That's not the idea. This is, a, this, is a, um, this is an analogy that the author's using to show that it's like eagles and that they, their hair is, is left uncared for. Right? Because birds don't get haircuts. Right? Maybe some pet birds, perhaps, but, but they don't get haircuts. They just let it go. And perhaps for King Nebuchadnezzar, people wanted to, the people in his kingdom, still on his side, see him in this state. What are you doing? You're looking terrible. Let's get you cleaned up. And, and apparently he was combative against them, not allowing them to groom him. He liked it as it was. And even not allowing him, uh, allowing them to take him back inside. He liked to be out there being drenched with the dew of heaven and eating with the cattle. At the end of verse 33, his nails were like bird's claws. Again, not that they turned into claws, but they, they are uncared for. Because, again, birds don't get manicures and pedicures, right? Some of you entrepreneurs out there are thinking, ah, oh, here's a good idea. I found a niche in the market. Birds don't have manicures and pedicures, so I could start a business. Well, if you do, I'll just encourage you, if you do, just use the name that, I'm, that I've thought of, okay? It's called Quail's Nail Salon. I mean, okay. Enough ridiculously, let's, uh, ridiculousness. Let's move to the sublime. Uh, in verses 34 to 35, God causes the fall of kings for a purpose. Okay, so first we saw God is the one who causes the fall of kings here we see that God causes the fall of kings for a purpose. That God does this for a reason. Sometimes God tears down kings and kingdoms as an act of judgment, like He does with Pharaoh of Egypt. And God will do that in order to show the world that He is the Most High God so that in their destruction, they can see that only God can be powerful to, to take them down. And God is doing something similar here. The only difference is is that, is that uh, God is causing King Nebuchadnezzar to see his foolishness of exalting himself. And, and in the end, God will get the praise. Notice what happens here, or what King Nebuchadnezzar says here in verse 34 and then verse 35. But at the end of that period, remember, this is Nebuchadnezzar writing a letter to his kingdom. And he says, at the end of that period, of which I was insane, I raised my eyes toward heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion. And His kingdom endures from generation to generation. 
All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. But He does according to His will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And no one can ward off His hand or say to Him, What have you done? And no one can ward off His hand. No one can strike against it. You see, God here is showing that He is the one who rules over King Nebuchadnezzar. And He's giving Nebuchadnezzar the mercy of realizing that for himself. Because I think Pharaoh died an unbeliever. Okay, Acknowledging it on the surface that God was more powerful than him, but not submitting to it. As with many forms of insanity, this insanity that King Nebuchadnezzar experienced did not affect every part of his brain. He apparently was still able to reason in some way. He likely knew that he was living like an animal and thinking like an animal because of his pride. And after seven years he finally repents of that pride. He acknowledges several things in these verses. He acknowledges first that God is eternal. And then second, that God is the sovereign King of kings who cannot be overpowered. No one can thwart His hand. No one can ward off His hand. Strike against Him. And verse 35, that even the greatest of humans is no match for Him. It says, uh, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. Not only can God defeat anyone that He wants, and not only are we nothing before Him, but when God does something, we can't question Him. Look at the end of verse 35. And no one can say to Him, what have you done? They can't stop Him from doing what He wants to do, and no one can question Him from doing anything. This is a good description of what the book of Daniel is about. That both in past history, like we've been looking at with King Nebuchadnezzar, and with future history that's still to be written, God reigns over all. He's the one who can do what He wants. He can accomplish His purpose. And no one can ward off His hand or say to Him, God, what have You done? I would argue that King Nebuchadnezzar was genuinely converted as he records here in chapter 4. I gave you several reasons last week why I think that. And if you'd like further proof, maybe you're still thinking through that, and I'd encourage you not just to take my word for it, but to examine the Scriptures. Let me just give you one more passage to read uh, during your time this week, and, and hopefully you're reading the passage in advance anyway, and you'll come across this. Chapter 5, Daniel chapter 5, verses 17 through 24. Here we have the contrast between King Nebuchadnezzar and King Belshazzar. And what you should recognize is that these two kings respond in completely different ways. And hopefully that will give you further evidence that King Nebuchadnezzar was genuinely converted. Well, God causes the fall of kings. God causes the fall of kings for a purpose. And then in verses 36 and 37, we see that God also causes the rise of kings. This is what God was getting at from the beginning. King Nebuchadnezzar, you can't take credit for rising to power. All this great uh, work that you've done, this great kingdom that you've built, you can't take credit. And that's what God's going to show King Nebuchadnezzar here in the end as well, that He also brings him back to power. Not only does He cause him to be insane and allow him to to go off for a time and be humiliated, but then He brings him back to to power. Verses 36-37. Do you remember how the tree was destroyed in verses 14 and 15 in the vision? Remember the tree was chopped down, but what remained? It was a stump. And notice how Daniel explains that in verse 26. 
And in that, it was commanded to leave the stump with the roots of the tree. Here's what that means. Your kingdom will be assured to you after you recognize that it is heaven or the God in heaven who rules. In other words, once you recognize God's supreme power over all things, then you will be restored to your kingdom. And that's what happens here in verses 36 and 37. In order for this kingdom to be restored, remember, King Nebuchadnezzar is insane. Okay? He has to convince his counselors, his officers, his, his lower rulers that his brain is now functioning. And so apparently he probably does go get his nails cut and his hair cut and he stops speaking in grunts and eating grass. And this, this has to, to happen in order for him to, to get back to a place where he's the king. Now, I don't think this would have taken much time because who was it that was second in command prior to King Nebuchadnezzar's insanity? It was Daniel. And what did Daniel know about what was taking place in King Nebuchadnezzar? Right. So very likely Daniel probably took over for King Nebuchadnezzar while Nebuchadnezzar was insane and telling other people what's going on, probably. And then when he comes back, he says he's not surprised, right? Why? Because he knew exactly how long it was going to take. It was going to take seven years. And the end result is that King Nebuchadnezzar gets his kingdom back in verse 36. And God gets the praise for it all in verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the King of Heaven for all His works are true and His ways just. And He is able to humble those who walk in pride. Think about what King Nebuchadnezzar is saying here. All of God's ways are true and just. They are right. What has just happened to King Nebuchadnezzar? God has just humiliated him, brought him down from the pedestal of his pride, and allowed him to be eating with animals. And he's saying, what God did there by humiliating me was true and right. I can't question God in doing that to me. Why? Because it caused me to acknowledge my pride and God's great worth. And you know why I think King Nebuchadnezzar was genuinely converted? Another, another reason I think perhaps this is the most convincing is that one of the first things that he does when he gets restored to his throne is he writes this letter that's recorded for us in chapter 4. He writes this letter about how God had humbled him, how God had humiliated him, and then brought him back to power. And this is amazing because some scholars believe that most of the kingdom, certainly most of the world, would not have known about what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. They didn't know about his insanity. Because I think Daniel and the other rulers would have kept this quiet. And this is long before the days of TMZ taking photos of him, you know, as he's drooling on his grass, spreading the news all over Twitter. Instead, the, these rulers that were working for King Nebuchadnezzar probably took some of King Nebuchadnezzar's own land, his secluded forest, and put him there. They, listen, if you're going to live out in the fields, then live there. Daniel, obviously knowing that it would only take seven years. And they keep an eye on him, keep him out of public shame, and then hope for his recovery. And if that's the case, 
if the scholars are right, and I, I would agree with them in that case, that they kept him hidden during these seven years, then the very first time that the public hears of his insanity is when King Nebuchadnezzar reveals it to them himself through this letter which is recorded for us in chapter 4. And he is distributing it. Notice to, who, to whom he distributes it. Verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar the king to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language that live on the earth. He starts out by saying, I believe that God rules. Let me tell you what happened to me. And in verses 4 to 33, he tells what happens and he concludes with his summary. Let's read through these verses again and notice what he says about God just to confirm this in our mind that he has recognized that the Most High rules over all. Verse 2, It has seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the Most High God has done for me. How great are His signs and how mighty are His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and His dominion is from generation to generation. And then he goes back. Let me tell you something that happened to me seven years ago. He starts telling that in verse 4 and tells about that all the way through verse 33. And then here's how he concludes his letter to the entire kingdom, verse 34. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed or praised the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but He does according to His will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And no one can ward off His hand or say to Him, What have you done? And at that time my reason returned to me and my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom and my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished in my sovereignty and surpassing greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the King of heaven for all His works are true and His ways just and He is able to humble those who walk in pride. No longer is he saying, you know, the God of Daniel, he's a great God because he revealed that dream about the statue to me. You know, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's a great God. You don't say anything against that God because he saved them from the fiery furnace. Now he says, now, my God, okay? I believe in this Most High God. I've seen Him work in my own life now. And this God has full dominion over all men forever. And that He is fully honest and just in all His works and all His ways with men, including the very acts of discipline that bring His people to Himself. And for all these reasons, King Nebuchadnezzar personally gives praise to God. The story of King Nebuchadnezzar is about two sovereigns. Who is the real king? From chapters 2 through 4, who is the real king? And the answer is found here in chapter 4, verse 35. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, but He, the Most High God, does according to His will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and no one can ward off His hand. King Nebuchadnezzar answers the question, that effectively has been asked over these last three chapters, who is the real king? And we agree with King Nebuchadnezzar. God is the ruler over all. And you know, we like it. 
when God displays His power over wicked rulers, don't we? He does it here with King Nebuchadnezzar. He does it to Herod in Acts chapter 12 when Herod is sitting on his throne enjoying all of his splendor and majesty and the people cry out, He must be one of the gods. And immediately God struck him, killed him with worms. We like when God displays His sovereign power over wicked rulers. But we have to recognize that God doesn't always work this way. That is, that He doesn't always bring about judgment on the wicked in this lifetime. Because there are hundreds of thousands of kings who have died wealthy, prosperous, and with a mindset of utter defiance against the living God. And when we see wicked kings like that prosper, we should not think God must not be near or God is unconcerned about the righteous who suffer. And we certainly shouldn't be thinking that God is unconcerned about evil. Don't think that God's delay in judgment means no judgment at all. Or don't think that because an evil person does not experience the full consequences of their sin in this lifetime, that they will somehow avoid the consequences of their sin in the next lifetime. Because our God often delays in judgment to give people more time to repent. You realize that King Nebuchadnezzar was warned about his pride and his failure to acknowledge God, and yet for a whole year, God allowed him to go without repenting. So what I would say to you today is that if God has revealed your sin to you and you need to repent, yet you are procrastinating in your repentance, recognize that God's judgment is delayed for now, but His delay in judgment will not last forever. Peter warned of this in 2 Peter chapter 3 that there are people who think that the things have always continued as they were. But that's not true because there was a great flood of God's judgment and there will be another judgment, this time by fire, that's going to come on the whole earth. God has not allowed things to continue as they, as they are right now. Things have always not been the same as they are right now. Judgment has come on the wicked and judgment will come on the wicked. Listen to Romans 2, verses 2-6. through 6, And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such sins. But do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such sins and do the same yourself, that you will somehow escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each person according to his deeds. God is not looking with a blind eye on the wicked. When the wicked prosper in this world and when they continue to do so, God is not ignoring it. He is storing up wrath for the day of their judgment. Sometimes we grow used to the constant sound of God's Word to the point where we don't let it get a grip on our soul like it once did. And so I'd encourage you this morning to don't, don't be like King Nebuchadnezzar in that year who said, you know, God's been merciful to this point and He hasn't judged me for my lack of repentance so far, so I'll just continue on as I am. 
And don't become cold and callous to the Word and the works of God. When my brother and sister-in-law moved into their house in Romulus, I think it was 1997, they had trouble sleeping because they were right across the street. They still are. The house still stands there. Right across the street from a crossing for train tracks. Which meant that throughout the day and in the middle of the night, they would hear this loud train coming and the dinging of the gate coming down and the blaring of the train's horn to make sure that there's no traffic on the tracks and then the sound of the wheels on the tracks. So they couldn't sleep. But you know what happened over time? They grew accustomed to that sound. And so now for the last 17 years, last maybe 16 years, that they've been able to sleep through the night without any problem, even though the trains still come. Friends, pray to God that you and I would never become like that with His Word. That at one time it used to be a loud, blaring sound. I need to do this. This is God speaking to me. But over time it's been, well, it's there. We've kind of grown used to it. We never want to get to a place where it doesn't ring out loud and clear to us. Listen to the message of God. You must listen and respond. Pray that we don't become like King Nebuchadnezzar who heard the Word, saw His works, and thought, you know what? I have a little more time. Friends, there's a terrifying struggle for power in our world, but also in our hearts. We serve the great God of the universe who rules over all, and He is the one who causes the rise and fall of kings and kingdoms. He is on our side. So let's submit ourselves to Him and praise Him together. And let's do that now by praying together. Bow with me, please. Father, we're thankful that it did not take for You to bring about some sort of insanity to help us to see the clarity of Your Word and the necessity for us to repent. We're thankful that we acknowledge with King Nebuchadnezzar that You are the Most High God, deserving of all praise and honor forever because You live forever and You reign forever. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And all of us as inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. But You, God, You do whatever You please in the heaven. You are not confined or restricted by anything outside of Your own character and plan. So no one can strike against or ward off Your hand or even question why You did it. We acknowledge that with King Nebuchadnezzar this morning and want to give our lives to full and complete submission to Your authority over us. Lord, help us not to be cold and callous to Your Word, which has spoken to us many times in loud and clear ways. May we never come to the place where we have rejected it so many times that it becomes just a faint whisper. We want Your Spirit to to shout out to us the seriousness of our sin and the greatness of You, Your character, Your works, the greatness of our Savior and what He has done for us, and to remind us over and over again that we are nothing in comparison to You and we are completely dependent upon You. What do we have that we did not receive? Why do we boast as if we did not receive it? Lord, change our hearts 
change our thoughts, our actions, our words. Make them reflect more faithfully genuine followers of You. Help us to believe that You are, that You exist, and that You are a rewarder of those who seek You. In Jesus' name, Amen.